Welcome back to a bonus episode of Vet to Vet Coaching. I'm your host, Dr. Ginger Templeton. In today's episode, we're going to talk about panic and the coronavirus. And at the end of the episode, we'll talk about a few ideas for your veterinary practice. For those of you who are new to my podcast, and especially to those of you who are listening because you want a little peace in the anxiety around COVID-19, and maybe you aren't in the veterinary field, welcome. I do believe that this podcast is for all of us, and that if you are a little creative and extrapolate what I say about veterinary medicine to your own field or your own career or your own interest, that you can still get a lot out of this podcast. So thank you for tuning in, and I hope it's helpful for all of you. I am very excited to be offering a new program called Spark. It is weekly group coaching available for veterinary team members. I firmly believe that everyone deserves access to an objective, highly trained, knowledgeable coach. But let's face it, one-to-one coaching can be expensive. And group coaching not only is affordable, but it provides a unique benefit. What is group coaching? You're going to come into a Zoom call. You may submit a question and may be picked to be coached in front of the group. You don't have to be coached in front of the group, and that's where the unique second benefit comes in. By listening to others get coached through their problems, you are going to learn how to apply these tools to your own concerns. And because this is a group of veterinary team members, you are going to hear issues that you are facing. You are going to hear issues that your team is facing. This is going to be highly relevant to your day to day. So for $67 a month, you can get group coaching on a weekly basis and have access to me via email for quick questions and the tools that I teach. If you want to sign up, go to my website, drdrgingertempleton, that's drgingertempleton.com. If you're not sure if this is right for you, just send me an email. We'll talk through it. Ginger at vetdevetcoaching.com. Don't delay. Spark is going to be an amazing program. It's going to change the lives of veterinary team members. I want to see you there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is a bonus episode about social media distancing in the era of coronavirus, of COVID-19. I... I'm recording this on a Sunday morning. It's Sunday, March 15th. And yesterday, I decided to hop onto social media. Actually, Friday. I do not spend a lot of time on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. When my daughter was sick, when she was hospitalized with acute myeloid leukemia, we discovered Facebook. This was back in 2008. I had a Facebook account that I didn't really use, but when we were in the hospital for 159 nights and really limiting visits, I discovered social media. And as a parent of a sick child, it was incredibly helpful to me. But very early in that experience, the problems with social media began to manifest. People would post their opinions about Lindsay's treatment. These are not doctors. These are just random people that, you know, I had met at some point in my life and who had friended me because of, you know, their concern about my daughter's illness and their desire to 
keep in touch, and then suddenly they had medical opinions that were often unfounded, and that led me to a lot of stress. That said, at the time, social media mostly was helpful. It allowed us to share Lindsay's story. It allowed us to hear what was going on with our friends and neighbors. It also thankfully helped with our financial situation as people were able to become aware of what was going on and contribute in big or small ways to the burden of you know the costs that we were accumulating because we weren't working much and because of the medical bills. After cancer, I relied heavily on social media as a distraction, and only in the past maybe year, year and a half, have I really found a way to just distance myself without completely eliminating it. And so I will mention a book that honestly I have not read. Dr. Cal Newport, who I talked about with his book Deep Work, which is wonderful, I have read and highly recommend that book. Dr. Newport has also written a book called Digital Minimalism. And long before COVID-19, I basically read the short version in Deep Work because he does refer to digital minimalism. And I think he spends an entire chapter on it. And I said, you know what? This guy's really smart. He's productive. He's, he says he's happy. I'm going to adopt his approach. I found an instant improvement in my mood. Instant. I think that many of us use social media as a distraction from our stress and our feelings only to not recognize how much the chatter is stressing us. Now, in the face of COVID-19, you're probably noticing it. You're probably realizing it. But maybe you're so deeply engaged in the necessity you perceive of those interactions on social media that you're not really recognizing that you can do something about it. So Friday, I was hoping to learn that our school district had canceled school. I, as you know, have a degree in microbiology, a master's degree. Um, in vet school, of course, we studied epidemiology and virology. And just from a very calm place of understanding epidemics and understanding the spread of viruses, I believe that schools should be closed for an extended period of time to, and I hate to say that sounds like a cliche now, but to flatten that curve. So if you haven't seen the posts or the graphs, flatten the curve refers to reducing the rapidity, the speed with which COVID-19 affects our community. So when we say flatten the curve, we may not realize it, but we are accepting that the virus will spread through our community. We are not trying to isolate completely and extinguish the virus. We recognize that with our current society and this particular virus, the hope of that has passed. Now, for some of you, that statement alone may feel overwhelming, and I want to come back to that. But first, I want to talk about flattening the curve. So I do believe that shutting down schools and shutting down large gatherings and reducing your interactions with others is a valuable tool. It is something that empowers you to impact the progression and the spread of this virus. It impacts you to support the healthcare community. I see it as a positive. I don't see it as a panic-driven, 
fear-mongering, scary step. I see it as something that we can do to help our neighbors, to help the vulnerable, to help, to help those healthcare workers who we may end up relying on. So I logged into social media on Friday and I saw that Twitter, which is where our school district usually posts closures, they had posted on Facebook. Now, I don't really understand Twitter. I'm not afraid to admit it. And so I've never really been addicted to Twitter. I don't get value from it. And I can pop over there, see if school has been closed, and I'm done. But they were posting for whatever reason on Facebook. So I logged into my Facebook account. Now, Facebook has been historically my challenge, my social media addiction. But, you know, I'm not afraid of it. I can hop over there and hop off. So Friday I hopped on and our school district had posted a long and sort of disorganized and rambling message about how they were not closing schools as of Friday the 13th. And, you know, they posted this on a Friday night, so the implication was that they were not closing Monday. I was disappointed initially for selfish reasons. I'm going to go ahead and admit that. I was really looking forward to just having my kids at home, having my daughter at home. She has been working so hard with school and so hard with SWIM, and SWIM had just been canceled, that I thought, you know, this is going to just give our family a, a break, a chance to reset. But the more I thought about it, I decided, you know, I need to read, I need to really think about my stance on this, because I may need to make the decision to keep my daughter home from school on Monday. And the reason I say my daughter, she has asthma, she's a cancer survivor. I am not at all worried about her status as a cancer survivor. She's over 10 years in remission. She has a, you know, a pretty robust immune system. But her asthma is a problem, and it is potentially a problem with COVID-19. Now, let me stop here and say that I am not a medical doctor. I am a veterinary medical doctor. I am not here to give you advice about your health, your children's health, or specific health advice about coronavirus or COVID-19. However, for my family, I decided that I needed to think about whether to hold her home from school. Now, we have had a number of respiratory infections this winter, kind of unusually. And Lindsay's missed a lot of school. And she's doing well. She's a really smart, and not smart, that's not the right word. She's a really hardworking kid. And she keeps up with her work. But I really didn't want to hold her home from school another day and have her miss chemistry and have her miss honors biology. All of these classes where, you know, they're moving pretty fast and there's a lot to miss if you're not physically with your class. So I decided to read a little bit more and make sure that I was coming from a place of education and not a place of panic. And I want to point out that during all of this, as I started to feel anxious, I would pull back from it. I would take a breath. I would clear my mind. Or I would do something else. I would go for a walk. I would do a strategy that I know works for me. What I would not do during this time, if I did feel a little anxiety, was to dig deeper and deeper into social media. That is a mistake. It's a mistake for me, and I'm going to go ahead and say it's a mistake for you. Memes, headlines, posts from friends, these are not ways to get your education right now in a pandemic. And notice how calmly I say the word pandemic. This post is all about panic and how you can feel very calm with your response 
to this pandemic. Pandemic does not have to be a terrifying word. It is all in how you handle it and in how you manage your mind and manage your self-awareness. And I hope to help you with that process. So as I was on Facebook deeper and deeper, (laughs) and you know, that's something that I've not been pulled into in a long, long time. I, you know, began to hear the panic and the anxiety and the anger. And that's an interesting emotion because I think we all feel anger from time to time. Some of us, especially I think when we're parents of young children, we maybe feel anger more than we're comfortable with. But most of us don't share our anger widely, except on social media. And I think that that's a really fascinating cultural development. I think it's maybe problematic. I don't think there's anything wrong with being angry. I don't think there's anything wrong with expressing anger. But I think that the format of Facebook or Twitter, where it really allows us to almost amplify our anger, I think it has a ripple effect. And I think we need to be aware of that. The impact on us when our friends are angry and our impact on others when we're expressing fear through an angry tone. So as I started to see these posts, I thought, you know, hmm, people are hurting. People are really hurting here. There's fear. There's there's panic. There's a sense of not being in control. And this is a problem. And I think the less confident you are with medicine, And with science, the more fear potential there is, and we do one of two things. We either shut down and we say, oh, it's not a problem. This is a hoax. Or we allow the fear to exponentially multiply in our bodies and really take over the way that we cope. Even among my well-trained, knowledgeable veterinary clients and some friends in medicine, The panic and the fear is still there. If this is not your field, if you're not a virologist, if you're not an epidemiologist, it's very easy to feel out of control. So I did read a number of opinion pieces written by virologists and public health specialists. And I came to the conclusion that especially in our very large county with our very large schools, with very diverse populations, it's time to close. And it's time to close for an extended period. And from what I'm reading, I would say eight weeks. Now, again, I'm not an epidemiologist. And please know that I don't have the final word on that. But I say eight weeks because I want you to understand the depth, the seriousness of what I was deciding to be comfortable with. And notice my language. I decided to be comfortable with the idea of my child being home for eight weeks with or without virtual education. As a business owner, I own a business and I have to produce income. There was a lot to get my mind around when I decided to support an eight-week closure. The idea is that if you're not having community-acquired cases or if you're early in that curve, that you do need to close these large gatherings for an extended period of time and allow them to move more slowly and more naturally throughout the community. And the admixing of a thousand kids and a hundred teachers and administrators in a random mix 
of, you know, UPS delivery guys and parents and substitutes and tutors is not the way that we want to, you know, rapidly promote the spread of this virus and potentially overwhelm our ICU beds. So again, I decided to be comfortable with an eight-week closure. And it took me quite a while, but I decided to share a post. So the post that I shared was actually a petition. And as a veterinarian in my community, and as someone who has some knowledge, but is not an expert in public health, I wanted to be very, very careful. I did not want to fearmonger. I did not want to create panic. I did not want to promote an idea that I had more knowledge than I do. So I was very careful in the wording of my post as I shared this petition. And I basically said, and I want you all to hear this, this is about being proactive. This is about supporting and protecting the most vulnerable in our community. And this is about supporting our healthcare system and following the recommendations of very knowledgeable experts who don't have an agenda, who simply well, they do have an agenda, don't they? Their agenda is to keep us as healthy and as safe as is possible within the parameters of the uncontrollable. So we control what we can control. So I shared the post and I got a call from my very, very best friend from college who I have not talked to in probably a year. And really we just, you know, we don't get together. We don't talk enough. And I talked to her for an hour and a half. Now this friend is a psychiatrist and she is brilliant and she is so, I'm sure, good at what she does. And, you know, in college, she was just so smart and so hardworking. And she called to ask me my opinion. And I said, oh, Jen, no, you don't want my opinion. I'm not an expert. But we had a wonderful talk for about an hour and a half. And this is when it occurred to me. This is social media distancing. That conversation with her lightened and brightened the rest of my day. And while I talked to her, I walked. So I walked about an hour in my neighborhood talking to my best friend from college and not feeling any panic, any negativity, any triggering that I would have felt if I had spent that hour, air quotes now, connecting with people on social media. And it occurred to me that it was valuable that I had been on social media the day before to learn about the school closure and that morning to share the petition and hopefully work toward getting our school to adopt a closure strategy. But then having done that, it was time to pull back. So I posted, hey friends, it's been good being back, but in addition to social distancing, it's time for me to go back to social media distancing. There's far less panic in the real world. And I mean that. It's just a more comfortable place to be. And part of that is because we communicate so very differently face-to-face -face with our body language or over the phone with the tone of our voice than we do in the echo chambers that we've created in Facebook and Twitter, right? So on Facebook, there's no tone. You may think that you're putting tone into your post. You may read and perceive tone in comments, but there's no tone of voice. There's no body language, unless they're emojis. And, you know, sometimes we misinterpret emojis. So all of that to say, digital minimalism is a powerful tool for you to adopt 
long-term, but in the face of COVID-19, I want to implore you to adopt a digital minimalism strategy. Social media distancing, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you have to completely eliminate Facebook or Twitter or Instagram from your life. If you get considerable value, I want you to really take some time in your journal, writing it down. What is the value of the platform? And is that value outweighing the negative impact? So for me, I believed for a long time that I had to be on Facebook because that's where my business phase page was. And I didn't really have somebody to monitor my business page for me. So you, as a clinician, as a business owner, maybe you can outsource that task to someone else. Or maybe you don't have a business. Maybe you're an associate. Maybe you're in another line of work. And you simply don't need to be on Facebook. This does not mean you have to close your account. But what I would encourage you to do is log out and delete your saved password. This makes it much harder for you to log in. And you know, I know if you delete the app, which you should, you're going to go in through your browser on your phone or on your device and just log in that way. Maybe you won't, but I did in the beginning. So I want you to delete that password. I want you to create these friction components that make it more difficult for you to get into that social media. Now, for some of you, Facebook may not be a problem. You may not really like the platform. You may not spend a lot of time there. And if that's true, fine. You have to be self-aware and make these decisions yourself. So some of you may be angrily firing tweets at Twitter or liking and retweeting. Okay, maybe Twitter's the problem. Maybe you're smarter than I am and you understand how to use Twitter. If that's the case, same rules apply to Twitter. If after a week you say, no, I'm really missing connection with people, dig into it. Think a little more creatively about other ways. You know, there are some people who don't like to talk on the phone. Right now we're social distancing, so even if they're in your city, they may not want to get together. And there may be some challenges and there may be some friendships that are very important to you and that person communicates through social media, I would really encourage you to reach out to them through that platform and say, hey, here's what I'm trying. Can you think of a way that we could communicate outside of Facebook and see what they say? You might be surprised. They might say, oh, I'm so addicted. I'm always on here and I've been trying to get off of it. Yes, please help me. Or maybe they'll think you're crazy. I don't know. But I think it's a conversation to be had. And really, if I haven't said it yet, I would announce it. And the reason that I would announce it is one part selfish. It lets people know if they're seeing your post that you're not in isolation. (laughs) You're not shut down, that you're okay, and that you're doing this for yourself. But it also spreads the word. It also encourages social media distancing, because right now, with social distancing, a lot of people are going to believe that their social occurs on social media, and they're not going to be as creative as we are. They're not going to know that they have these other options. So I would love it if you share what you're doing with them. And a little selfishly, I would encourage you to please share this podcast. You know, this podcast is meant for veterinarians, but it's really all about managing your mind, 
healthy habits for mental health and wellness, and we can all benefit from that. And I do want this podcast to be spread widely because I want people to feel better. I want people to understand the infinite power they have for their own mental health, for their own contentment. And I want to be a voice for that. And so if you're willing, if you find value and you can share this, if you can like the or subscribe to us on Spotify or the other platforms where you're listening to it, if you can even maybe give us a five-star rating and review, all of those things are helpful to helping other people, to getting this message of self-care and mind management out to people who need it and maybe don't know that this podcast is there for them. For those of you who do rely on social media for your business, especially if it's a personal business and you're really, you know, the one sharing the thought or the blog post or the article, and you really need to be in the driver's seat, it is time to put the guardrails up. I want you to give yourself a very very clear boundary, a very discreet limitation on the time that you're allowed to be on that social media. I want you to access it through the most cumbersome device you have. So if you have a CPU upstairs in a room that's supposedly your office that you never use, that's where you need to go for your for your social media posts. And you set a timer. And when the timer's up, you're done. And if you didn't finish in that time period, then your business maybe suffers a little bit, but your mental health wins because you will learn very quickly to get your work done and not get distracted by all the shiny objects that social media wants to pull you in with. Some of you are saying, but but wait, this is how I connect. No, it's not. It doesn't have to be. If you feel like social media is valuable because of your connection with friends or family, I want you to take a week this week in the face of COVID-19 and test that hypothesis. Really, really test it. I want you to try to reach out to your friends and family in a meaningful way other than social media. So for example, I want you to do the social distancing walk. I want your connecting time, for those of you who have been listening to previous podcasts with the Healthy Mind Platter, you know we're trying to do connecting time. I want you to do your connecting time in a voice conversation with a friend on the phone, ideally when you walk. I mean, for me, it hit two birds, one stone. I got my connecting time when I talked to Jen yesterday, and I got my physical time. And I I just can't tell you, I felt great. I felt so lightened and unburdened after talking to her. And I would have felt that way even if this had not been about the pandemic, because quite frankly, that's what happens when we talk to old friends, face-to-face, phone-to-phone. So in today's bonus episode, I'm not really giving you a big journaling exercise other than to, if you think you can't pull back from social media or completely walk away from social media, to journal about it, to to journal some creative solutions, to challenge yourself in your journal about really how much you need your social media connections. And that's it. Uh, Continue doing the other exercises that have been mentioned previously in the podcast, please. I think now more than ever is the time for the Healthy Mind Platter. And I do recognize that I owe you a couple of bonus episodes on the Healthy Mind Platter, and I will get those up soon. 
Uh, but for now, you know, keep working on this on the shape with seven areas and filling in the aspects of the healthy mind platter that you get to. The next segment is going to be specifically for veterinarians on ways that they can subtly and not so subtly alter their business and business practices to face the COVID-19 concerns. If you want to keep listening and you're not a veterinarian, by all means, you may find some creative solutions for your own field. And you may have some ideas as you listen to me and want to share those through comments. Uh, please, please feel free to listen. But I do want to let you know that if you're tuning out now, thank you so much. Please know that the panic and the anxiety around COVID-19 is not, for most of us, necessary. And what do I mean by that? Panic and anxiety, are they ever necessary? Well, panic is probably not. So in the beginning of the show, I used the word pandemic, and I talked about how some of you, just in hearing me talk about pandemic and flattening the curve, we're experiencing a great deal of stress and anxiety, just hearing those trigger words. Let's think about that. Let's talk about what panic is. Panic is your body's attempt to run away from the anxiety, run away from the feelings, the negative feelings, and in turn your body amplifies and accelerates those feelings into panic. So practice it. If you're feeling a little anxious and you simply sit and notice the physical sensation of anxiety in your body, you're pro if you stick with that, if you return to it, come back, come back, come back, kind of like with our meditation and our mindfulness exercises that we've talked about, if you come back to, ooh, I feel a little tingle, blow my lungs, I feel a little lump in my throat, I feel a clenching in my jaw. If you walk through the physical sensations, breathing into those if breath helps you, for some people the breath can trigger some anxiety, but if it's helpful to you, you'll find that you're probably not going to go into that panic phase. And when you first start practicing this, you may notice that you actually feel a more sustained period of anxiety, but a softer, you, <laughs> I'm not trying to be punny here, but you kind of flatten the anxiety curve. It's still there, but it's not as sharp of a peak into panic. And so the point of all of this, I'm not a therapist. I'm not really able to walk you through preventing panic attacks, but I can talk to you about panic in the sense of COVID-19 and say that it's not productive. Panic tends to be paralyzing for many of us, and for others of, of us, it may mobilize us in a very disorganized way. And so, for example, we're firing off angry, crazy tweets, or we're shutting down, uh, we're, we're overeating and overdrinking and binging Netflix, trying to avoid the feelings. And so, again, panic, not really productive. Anxiety is rooted in productive Origins, if you think back to, you know, escaping predators and things of that nature. But sustained anxiety is equally unproductive. And so if you're hearing the words panic, pandemic, flatten the curve, and you're having a knee-jerk gut reaction to those, I want you to notice that. And then I want you to notice your thoughts. So you're having these feelings 
because of thoughts. What are the thoughts? My kid's going to get sick. We're going to die. We're going to be in the hospital and there won't be a ventilator. And I'm saying some very triggering things right now, and I apologize for that. But I want you to notice the thoughts that are coupled to your anxiety. And then I want you to notice what has actually happened in your life over the last 48 hours. Has anything really changed? Are your kids still as healthy as they were when you first heard the word COVID-19? Are your parents? Sure, your travel plans have changed. Sure, your school plans may have changed. But is the world on fire? It's not. The thoughts in your mind probably center around images that you've seen on social media. Is that true? Are you picturing an Italian ICU? Are you picturing a village in China? Or are you picturing your world right now? And realizing that right now, and probably moving forward, your world's going to stay pretty much the same with some modifications put in place to be proactive. You're controlling what you can control. And right now, unless you've been affected by COVID-19 with a diagnosis, and if you have, my heart goes to you. But for the vast majority of us, that is not the case. And it is our mind's eye that is creating the panic and the anxiety, those thoughts. And again, I'm going to say it. Many of those thoughts, many of those images, your brain is pulling them directly from social media. So, this is not about shutting it down. This is not about running away from triggers. But it is about being very, very careful and smart and intentional about what you expose your mind to right now. Expose your mind to facts. I think it's okay to still read the newspaper and maybe listen to good, balanced news sources. So, I am a fan of NPR. I think that they do a good job of giving the facts. And when they give commentary or opinion, they're very clear about that. That's my personal stance. Some of you may disagree. But limit your exposure to social media. It is not your source of information. And see how you feel. Connect with your friends, and your family. And whether you do that on a very small scale in person is up to you and up to your COVID risk level and up to the recommendations made by those around you. Our governor has mandated no gatherings more than 100 people, which I think is wonderful. I'm so grateful that he did that. Um, Roy Cooper is our governor. I think he's you know handling this well and with the advice of his public health officials. I know that not every state is doing that. You may not be real clear on the advice you're getting from your state, but do your best and limit things within reason, but continue to connect, whether that's by phone or by Skype. You can FaceTime people. This is connection. It can be virtual, but not social media. So I've beaten this to death, I'm sure, and I apologize for that, but really I want you to pull back. I want you to practice social distancing, and I also want you to practice social media distancing, but I want you to connect 
and meet those seven elements of the healthy mind platter. And if you don't know what those are, go back to episode two. I outline those there and then we dig deeper with some bonus episodes. And for those of you who are tuning out this time, I hope you'll subscribe and come back and get some value out of the podcast. Have a wonderful, low stress week, being confident in your ability to control what you can control and know that the panic and the anxiety is not necessary and you have real tools to limit that. Take care. I'll see you back next week. Because of the length of this episode, I decided to post the segment on hospital strategies as its own episode on Friday. Then next Monday, we'll have an episode on financial stress and the COVID era. I hope to see you back soon. Have a good week. Dr. Templeton is a licensed veterinarian in the state of North Carolina. She is not a medical doctor or mental health provider. The content of this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. It does not substitute for medical or mental health care. The content of this show is not meant to diagnose or treat any human medical or mental health conditions, veterinary medical conditions, nor is it meant to provide legal or financial advice. At vet vet Coaching, we take mental health and the veterinary suicide issue very seriously. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-harm, or a mental health crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or seek emergency care locally.